Hello and welcome to In the Envelope, an awards podcast. I am your host, Jack Smart, the awards editor at Backstage, your guide to the acting industry and the most trusted name in casting. We're here to talk with some of the contenders of the 2017 Emmy race, who share their advice on the craft and business of becoming an award-winning actor. This season of In the Envelope is brought to you by HBO. I actually didn't realize I was such a big science fiction fan. When I first heard about Westworld, it was, okay, robots and cowboys. I thought, well, that's just terrible. I just, I assumed both were areas where boys could just play with guns and, and that it was going to be a very sort of macho domain. I didn't even realize that I had this reverence for science fiction, which I now realize that I do. Hi, Jamie. Hello. How are you? All right. I think it's time for us to geek out about Westworld. Let's do it. <laughs> that was uh, Tandy Newton that we just heard opening this week's episode of In the Envelope. I am so excited that we talked to Tandy Newton. Yes. I am so obsessed. I know I say I'm so obsessed with so many actors, honestly, especially female actors. But like Tandy Newton, she's the bee's knees right yeah, now. Yeah, she, and she really stood out on an already great show. Yeah. Westworld, is, I really enjoyed Westworld, and she was by far the best part of it. Yep, yep. I've been dying for a supercut of all of her scenes that I think should be yeah. exhibited as just a work of art. Her, She she plays Maeve Malay, who is, what do you call her? She's the She runs a brothel. What's the, she's um, a madam. Madam, yeah. She's a madam of a brothel in the old west of Westworld, which is secretly an amusement park full of robots, very competent, uh, human-looking robots, where very rich guests come to visit and uh, play with them in the Old West. (laughs) And Maeve, the cool thing about Maeve Malay is that she begins to wake up from her looped narrative and (laughs) seek revenge. (laughs) Yes. you were saying that you had not known before the interview that she was in Star Wars? No, my ears pricked up when she said that. I was like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, she's in the. she will be appearing in the Han Solo spin-off Star Wars movie. Um, and I thought it was cool that she's sort of known for being a dramatic actress, but is newly in love with sci-fi. And acting sci-fi, you know, it does act, <laughs> becoming a robot, that is a specific task for an actor and a, yeah. a juicy one, as she says. I mean, what just a feast for actors Westworld is in terms of sci-fi and in terms of horror and in terms of yeah. exploring the depths of humanity and philosophy. Tandy won a Critics' Choice Award for Supporting Actress for yeah. playing Maeve. God, she's amazing. I'm obsessed. Also in this episode, we are joined by Carly Chaikin. Talk about amazing and obsessed. I'm also obsessed with Carly <laughs> Chaikin. Two very fabulous women in this episode. Um, Carly Chaikin stars on the USA drama Mr. Robot. She plays the hacker, Darlene, who in the second season of the show had quite an up and down journey. Uh, We talked a lot about her process and got into the nitty gritty of auditioning and casting and, uh, you know, how she approaches these incredible scenes that she has to work with on Sam Esmail's show. Should we get to it? I think so. This episode is brought to you by HBO's original comedy series, Silicon Valley, where Richard Hendricks and his team of socially awkward underdogs continue to claw their way towards tech fame and fortune. 
for your Emmy consideration in Outstanding Comedy Series and all other categories. I'm Tandy Newton is an award-winning actor and activist known on both sides of the pond for her work on film and now on TV for HBO's Westworld, where she plays Maeve Malay, a sentient android who runs a brothel, a role that won her a Critics' Choice Award, as well as a Golden Globe and SAG Award nomination. She is also a BAFTA Award winner and a wonderful person. Here's my interview with Tandy Newton. So, full disclosure, I'm obsessed with Maeve Malay in every way. <laughs> I know, <laughs> um, it's frustrating having to wait for the second season, isn't it? Oh, is it, it so is. It, Have you guys begun the process? Everybody feels the same. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we start, well, they, they've begun the process of writing. Ah, okay. I've heard a few bits and pieces about what's coming up for the next season, but we don't actually start shooting until July. And you have, so you don't really know in terms of plot what's coming for her. I know a little. Oh, okay. I do. Yeah, I do know a little. More so than in uh, at the beginning of season one? No, goodness, no. No, at the beginning of season one, they they outlined pretty much everything. Um, oh. And so I, I don't I don't have a sense of the whole the whole stretch of the of the next season. I just know little bits about what Maeve's going to be up to. Wonderful. Well, so who is Maeve? How would you describe her? And how would you describe the many changes she goes through in this first season? Well, that's a big question. So if I can just uh, um, d- d- say, answer in segments. First of mm-hmm. all, she's a hardworking robot. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's fascinating about her is that she doesn't know what she is. She assumes that she's a fully functioning human being with a history which she has been programmed um, with. Mm -hmm. So any questions that you're likely to ask her will come from a source that has been programmed. Um, but obviously the big betrayal is that she has been programmed to believe completely that she's a human being Mm. and she would, she will, she will argue to the, to the death about that. So that's who she is. And if you can quite literally to the death, yeah, exactly. And <laughs> if you could remind me about what the second part of your question was, I can't. Well, and that. how does she change? I'm curious about how how does an actor act someone whose qualities literally change? Her intelligence is ramped up to is it twenty yeah. scale from one to twenty? I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it's actually up to ten. Uh-huh. It's like like Spinal Tap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what's what's cool about Maeve is that she takes over her own programming. I think that's when it it got really juicy in the in the first season, is that she yes she was functioning um, on on principles that that were that were powered by human beings, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. she she literally took that over. She not only started to control herself, but she started to control the people around her who were programming her. So she had full control. She was mm-hmm. the great Oz. Part of what's so beautiful is that she can't condemn what they've done because Mm. she's in awe. You know, the intelligent side of her new nature 
is is that she's able to appreciate the beauty in this technology. Mm. So even though she's at the mercy of it and has been and has suffered thousands of times, you know, I've died mm. a, a, a thousand times. She's suffered. She's been at the mercy of it, but she's completely bewitched by it too. Mm. Um, but I think that what's most powerful, and certainly for me as an actress playing it, was that it was the greatest betrayal imaginable. Uh, is to discover that everything that you've been told, everything that you believe, not just what you've been told then becomes what you believe is a lie. Mm. And that betrayal is what fuels her desire for revenge. Mm. And so in in episode six, I'm playing out this multi-stranded rebirth Mm -hmm. because she really does. You know, and her rebirth is not just one. It's she, she then... You know, she goes on these kamikaze missions in order to upgrade <laughs> herself time and time yeah. again. She reminded me, I do a lot of work draw, drawing attention to what's going on in the Congo, uh, which has mm-hmm. been labeled the worst place in the world to be a woman mm-hmm. because of the sexual violence that, that happens there. And it really, the women that I've met there who are in, in they are indestructible. What some of them have been through, it beggars belief. It is just, it's, mm. it's, it's, it's almost impossible to to compute um, when they're they're telling you what they've been through. And Maeve, to me, was a fraction of those women. And and I've seen the strength. You would think that there'd be a, you know, that that a person who's been through those things would be defeated, would be be resentful, bitter, and, and, and find it hard to go on. But quite the opposite. Their love for life, their appreciation for life is what escalates. So Maeve has got this incredible thirst mm. for life. And not only does she have that, you know, from a human perspective, she's got it from a robot perspective. Mm-hmm. What a robot, what these robots want more than anything is to be human, even though they know it's a lie. Mm-hmm. And she is determined. I mean, maybe this is what some of the second season will have in store. I actually don't know. Uh-huh. But, you know, this sense of... I think the, the 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 kind of existential question that comes from the show, which I love, is what makes a soul. Ah, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sent that sentience, you know, is if you can feel, if you can reflect, if you have memory, feelings, compassion, empathy, does mm. that mean you have a soul? And mm, what, mm-hmm. because you know, let's let's look at a lot of we call some human beings robotic people who, you know, don't have empathy, who don't have feelings, who mm-hmm. don't seem to have feelings anyway. Certainly. You know who who are, who are sadistic and pe- people who don't seem to feel anything. Do they have less of a soul than someone who is feeling, who is compassionate? Mm. I mean, these are existential questions that we are really dealing with. Absolutely. You know what makes what makes a person pathological, and 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 and, and as a result, do they deserve to live? Look at you know capital punishment. These these yeah. are real questions which we are as a humanity struggling with, and that's one of the things I love about Westworld is that those parallels are very clearly there, mm. um, and it allows us to, to think about those things. I was thinking mm-hmm. about all of those things playing Maeve. You know, yeah. I would ponder those very you know pithy existential <laughs> questions as I was playing her, and I felt such. It was such a gift to be given a role that actually allowed me to, to, to you know, to, to consider those things. 
Right. I mean, you used the word juicy earlier to describe the material that you were given for this. I mean, you must have just read this script and thought there are so many different ways to play this, so many different layers. Yeah, there are so many different layers. And it was it was strange mixture of frustrating and liberating because Mm. to begin with, you know, we were repeating the same, literally the same situations, the same (laughs) lines over and over again. Yes, I got to amp it up. A little bit here and there I got to like you know you were just saying you know I had to repeat the same scene in slightly different ways mm-hmm. and at some point you know maybe halfway through I was starting to think geez you know this is robotic mm-hmm. um, and it right. wasn't until I it wasn't until I saw the whole piece that I saw how powerful it was you know a lot of what makes it powerful is the rep- is the repetition and in how less was definitely more so that mm. once we started to break out of our loop that's when the that's when the fire came you yeah. know and then by the end of course when she's off script li- yeah, you know completely. literally off script mm-hmm. um you know, and and given free reign so you know the second season i can't even begin to imagine where we'll be able to go it'll be like it'll be like the whole first season was just learning to fly and now off we go <laughs> the runway the runway is ahead yeah i've heard the the creators say that season one is sort of a prequel of sorts to everything that comes yeah. afterward. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I haven't, I haven't actually seen the movie. I'm very much looking forward to seeing it, but apparently, yeah, the, the movie uh, Westworld starts where we leave off. And I'm wondering too about the, the campaigning aspect. I, I don't even know whether to call it campaigning, but when you go on a promotional tour and you do magazine covers or, interviews, um, podcast interviews, for example, all of that is in promotion of this new project. But do you also see that as an opportunity to bring it back to your activism? It's funny you say that because normally when I work, I separate my vocation from the human rights work that I do. Only Mm -hmm. partly it's it's because it's, it's not relevant. Um, Mm -hmm, and sometimes mm -hmm. I'm frustrated by the lack of insight into women's issues, um, the, the, the lack of writing by women. Mm. Um, but with Westworld, our key writer was Lisa Joy, um, Mm -hmm. our showrunner, um, and her perspective, obviously it's a female perspective. It's, she's a very, um, you know, she's an esteemed writer. She's, she's the mastermind behind, behind Westworld. Mm-hmm. And also we're dealing with, with, with these existential issues, which I mentioned before. And I actually felt that I was continuing my work as a human rights activist when I was on the set of Westworld. Oh, wonderful. Because of the themes, yeah. because of, the themes of the show. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's not that I always bring things back to it, but it's just, it's relevant. If you uh-huh. ask me what my inspiration is, then I'm going to mention that because that's the truth. Right. Um, but I don't, I don't see Westworld as an opportunity to, you know, carry a torch for the work mm. that I do outside. It's just, it right. just happens to be, it just happens to be relevant to me. Yeah. And in the context of, of science fiction, which, I mean, I think it's been said that the best science fiction isn't invented or imagined. It is all, as you said, kind of based on real world issues or inspired by real world events. And Westworld is certainly yeah. an example of that. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm working on Star Wars right now, and the same thing right. could be said for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. If you look at you look you look at Darth Vader, you look at Obi Wan, you look at all these characters, and you can see parallels with with you know our ideas about um, God or mm. you know 
ideas about men and women and and mm. and, and larger existential questions that we ask sure. ourselves as as a humanity. Mm-hmm. So yeah, science fiction is is the realm where these things can be played out, and I think it's. I actually didn't realize I was such a big science fiction fan when I first. <laughs> heard about Westworld it was okay robots and cowboys I thought well that's just terrible I just <laughs> I assumed I assumed that both were were you know areas where boys could just play with guns and right, and, right. and and, the, and that it was going to be a very sort of macho domain but uh, and it's ironic because I named my first daughter Ripley after the character in Alien and I, I didn't even think I didn't even realize that I had this reverence for uh, science fiction cool. which I now realize that I do yeah, well, and you're you're very good at it. <laughs> and, so. the, and you know the same with the same with westerns. I was like, oh, westerns! It's all about white men on horses, yep. being yep. you know being <laughs> macho. And um, Jonah and Lisa said, well, have a look, you know, at these Sergio Leone movies. I was like, oh god, this is going to be terrible. I'm going to be so bored. <laughs> and it went against everything that I had uh, assumed. I mean, there's me thinking I'm so open-minded, when actually I was as um, I was I was prejudiced against these movies that I hadn't even appreciated, you know, and I'm now a huge fan. I love those films. Once upon a time in the West. I mean, they're just one eye jacks, my dad's favorite movie when I was Mm. growing up, you know, I just, I I now soak them up. That's wonderful. It's amazing how so many Mm -hmm. different influences and inspirations can inform a role like this. It's just what a wonderful palette for you to draw from. Best role I've ever played without a doubt. Wonderful. Well, and so for Maeve, you earned a Critics' Choice Award. Congratulations. Thank and you also, very much. I was really uh, surprised. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a SAG nomination, a Golden Globe nomination. And so up next are the Emmys. And I'm wondering, how do you go about planning to uh, publicize your role or to work with HBO to promote kind of the first season of a new show now that the Emmys are coming around the corner? Um, I... I don't tend to think about it in that way. I'm publicizing or I'm helping to publicize Westworld just so that viewers can enjoy watching it if they mm-hmm. so choose. I'm not sure. thinking about, I really don't think about it in terms of awards. I've been acting for 25 years. Um, mm-hmm. That's half my life. Mm-hmm. Um and it's always the same pattern of you make you make the movie or in this case the TV show, and then you know you get invited onto TV shows to talk about it, talk mm-hmm. shows. You get invited, you know, to speak to journalists and magazines, and it's all with the with the hope that people that would enjoy it will get a chance to see it. Mm-hmm. That's the ulterior motive. There's no other motive for me, which is why winning the Critics' Choice Award was just a, a huge surprise. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was humbled. Mm-hmm. I feel I feel like, you know, it, it, it's, it's a gift, which I enjoy with, you know, humility. And it's not certainly not something that I expect or something that I, I campaign for, because, mm. you know, we're not, it's not winning an election. I'm not, I'm not going to be, <laughs> right. you know, it, 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 I'm not going to be in, in a position of power if I win. Do you know what I mean? Right, right, right. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, I'm, this is not so that I have any authority over anybody or anything. Um, I think that awards for me are an incredible gift. They're, they're gifts. Sure. And that, and no more than that. It's, it's, Absolutely. I, there's no, I, I, I don't know. I don't, 
I think if I thought that there's a way of winning them by campaigning, that it wouldn't mm. really be honest and it wouldn't uh, be a gift anymore. Right. It would be something that I've bought and I don't oh, want to buy yeah. one. I want, I want to, if someone wants to give me a gift, it's got to <laughs> be because it comes from their heart, you know? Yeah. And I, I, maybe I'm naive, but that's just the way I do it. And I think it's partly because there have been times in the past when, I've thought, oh God, yeah, this deserves an award, and and mm. my role is really amazing, and it could garner an award, and then it hasn't happened, and it's such mm-hmm. a depressing moment when sure. that penny drops. Of course, that all you know, all the efforts can lead to nothing. So you know, like I said, the reason I mentioned how long I've been doing this for is that what I've realised is that the intention has to be about the audience, has to be about mm. the people for whom you have made this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, very often they're not even the people that vote, uh, but, but from, but absolute hand on heart, they're the ones I do it for. Right. That's so good to hear. It's it about the vote. audience. Yeah. Yeah. It's about, you. of course it's about the audience because, you know, awards might come, they might not, but what is definitely mm-hmm. going to happen is people are going to watch it. Yeah. That's yeah. definitely going to happen. But, um, so the Emmys coming up, I just see it, you know, in the same way that I see, you know, these things as gifts. I see award mm-hmm. ceremonies as an, as an incredible opportunity to just share in the wonder of what we do sure. as artists. Yeah. You know, it's the only time we ever get to be with each other and, and you know, be fans of one another, mm. you know, as opposed to being in competition with each other. Yeah, yeah. You know, over roles or, you know, that kind of thing or ratings yeah. or that. I just don't, I, I take that's That's for the businessmen. That's for the money people. Right. Um, and I'm, sh- and I, and I'm no, I'm not naive about the fact that if you win an award or if a show wins an award, it means, you know, the ratings might go up. I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. stupid. You know, I, I do get it, but that's not <laughs> right, my, right, right. that's not my job. Yeah. So in a way talking about, you know, how am I going to go about campaigning? You got to talk to HBO about that because they've probably got <laughs> a plan that's brilliant. Sure. Right. But I'm not priv- I'm not privy to that plan. All I no. do is all I do is step into the opportunities that I'm given to share this work that I'm so proud of with people that might enjoy it. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Because we are backstage, our backstage users and backstage listeners of this podcast are very interested in any advice you may have in terms of, you know, how do you go about earning these amazing roles and getting into the room in the first place? What is your number one sure. piece of advice for early career actors? Oh, that is a tough one. I mean, <laughs> getting into the room is everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and nowadays, because of social media, we've it's a whole new frontier. And I would honestly say that if you have a lust for creativity, just start doing it at home. Um, write, mm-hmm. get your friends together, get your iPhones and start filming. If you can save up a bit of money to get an editing, bit of editing, an editing app, use mm-hmm. it. It's a whole new frontier. And, and, you know, people have access now to the tools that can make movies. Mm-hmm. If, that's, if that's what you like, if it's, if you want to perform and, and you want an audience, busk. Get out there, do it in sure. front of people. Mm-hmm. Um, write to people that you love. I, I heard this wonderful story the other night. One of the, pu- the puppeteers on Star Wars, he's mm-hmm. an amazing puppeteer. He's he's played some of the monsters and in, in you know some of the creatures in lots of Star Wars movies. Mm. 
And when he was a kid, he wrote to the Jim Henson workshop um, uh, oh. and said, I, I want to I be a puppeteer. How do I do it? And they wrote back saying, well, you're only 11. Um, <laughs> you're, you're, you're too young. But when you're uh-huh. older, check back in with us. Oh, wow. And then when he was seven, when he was like 17 years old, he got a call from the Jim Henson workshop and they'd gone through the old letters because they oh, were looking wow. for applicants for a new program they were developing, you know, uh-huh. teaching kids and whatever. And they found his letter and they said, come on, come oh, wow. on over and let's see what you've got. And that's a true story. So I think if you love something, if you're really excited and animated by the mm. desire to be creative you mm-hmm. can't do that on your own you have to reach out to people so on the reach one out. hand create get people together who are like-minded learn the instruments save up some money so you can get the apps that help you do that and write letters just don't yeah. stop writing letters emails you know you can go online google is an incredible search engine you can find the addresses of people write letters of appreciation about people's work. You know, mm-hmm. I get letters every single day from people because they've appreciated mm-hmm. work I've done or they ask advice. And sometimes I'll write back, you know, it depends what's going on. Um, sure. But that's my advice is if you, if you're hungry, go eat. Well, gosh, Tandy, thank you so much for taking the time. This is really wonderful. This has been fun. So fun. Is there any, anything yeah. else that you need backstage users to know or to, here direct well, straight from I tell you what I would love I would love to 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 t- talk to backstage again another time so let's save it up absolutely we should get you on a magazine cover one of these days yeah maybe I'll do that in my <laughs> campaign for an award <laughs> exactly <laughs> well yeah keep breaking legs going forward and I'm so excited for season two oh, thank you so much my friend This episode is brought to you by HBO's original comedy series, Veep, starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Veep follows former vice president and one-time president Selena Meyer and her staff as they attempt to make their mark and leave a lasting legacy without getting tripped up in the day-to-day political games that define Washington. For your Emmy consideration in outstanding comedy series and all other categories. Carly Chaikin was nominated in 2013 for a Critics' Choice Television Award for supporting actress in a comedy for the series Suburgatory, the ABC sitcom. Soon after it was canceled, she got the role of Darlene on USA's hacker drama Mr. Robot, the Golden Globe winner for Best Drama Series. She's an actor on the rise, and for that reason has plenty of insight for working actors on how to navigate the industry. Here's my interview with the wonderful Carly Chaikin. Do you do, have you done like voiceover audio stuff before? Um, I've always wanted to do voiceover and animated stuff. Oh, cool. Like doing like Family Guy or something like that. Yeah. Why Dream. not? When is it going to happen? I, tell someone. I don't know. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> world. That's awesome. I can't play like, you know, Disney princess because I have like a deep voice. Yeah, you could play. But I could play like the villain. Yeah. <laughs> which is more fun anyway. That would be fun. So yeah, you're, I don't want to say that Darlene is a villain, but I'd love to get into who she is. And like, how do you, what do you think of her? What did you first think of her when you first read about her? Well, 
you know, in the pilot, she only has, like, one scene. Yeah. So all I had was the pilot, and they gave me one other uh, – they gave me the subway scene from episode two. And so that's uh-huh. all I knew about Darlene. Cool. Um, but I just love the project and uh, Sam, our creator, and, you know, he told me bef- before I tested that I was his sister. Oh, okay. And, oh. and yeah, and I was like, what? Um, <laughs> and that's pretty much all you had to go off of. Yeah. yeah. He was like, but this character is going to get, like, much bigger and more prominent, and she's, like, nice. you know, helping – he didn't tell me that much, but I was just like trusted him and was like, it's it has to be cool. Right. Um <laughs> and then, you know, at season one, we got all the episodes like week by week. Very so cool. So I was really didn't like know what was gonna happen or mm. who she was gonna become and was kind of finding that out with her. Yeah. Um and then, you know, with season two, we got all of them up front. Okay. So then I could really kind of know. Interesting. You that's know exactly really where she ends her. up. Yeah. yeah. It's almost more like a movie mm-hmm. in that regard. Yeah. Because I've heard for TV actors, especially for like sitcom actors, they have that thing where when you start off, the writers don't know everything about the character and the actor certainly doesn't. And so you have to make choices to make the character strong and interesting. Mm-hmm. But you don't necessarily want to commit to one path and then have the writing contradict some choice you made. Right. So you knew that she was Elliot's sister. Yeah. And that she was a hacker mm-hmm. and that she was fabulous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty much. And it was like, let's go. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, I mean, I also think, you know, that the acting ends up also dictating the writing in a way. Like Sam yeah. says to like, we're co-create we're also creators of these characters now and we're also in a very unique scenario because most people aren't like sam and Ah. um don't have a project like this be so inclusive and collaborative Mm. and you know give us the power too yeah um so you know it's like because now when he's writing he's like he has us in mind because he's like it's you it's not you know them better than I do. So hmm. we still, a lot of the times, I'll be like, I would never say that. I'm uh, not going to say that here. Like, she would say <laughs> this instead. Cool. And, you know, and he's like, okay. Or we'll talk about it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think he has an overall idea of the story. But I think that things, you know, in aside from, like, the bigger picture, have shifted, have probably shifted and changed mm. a little based on all of us. Because amazing, it's, int- you know, if anybody else played, um, like, I also read for uh, Angela, Portia's mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. And her and I always talk about this, where, like, both of us are good actors. And I could have played Angela and hmm. done a good job, but it would be a totally be different so character. Different. Yeah, yeah. And then that would make Darlene a totally different character. Right. And Which might affect the actual plot of the story. Right. Sure. So that's why casting is so important, but mm. it also is, you know, the actor really ends up kind of also, like, shapes who the character is, too. And is that true of all of most TV shows? I feel like that's more on the rare side to have someone that collaborative with his actors yeah it's very rare yeah i think you know i I would like to think that 
he, I mean, he, we're always like, you have no idea how amazing this is. And he's always like, why? This is how it should be. Okay. Yeah. And we're like, yeah, <laughs> it is how it should be. But yeah. unfortunately, it's not. Yeah. Okay. And so much of that is because, I mean, did you guys know that it would be this huge hit when you first started off? Or was it like, this is a very cool project. Who knows how it'll do? Who knows about the success part of it? Yeah. I mean, because you never know. No. Um, you never know what's going to catch on. No. And it was on USA, which had not had many a prestige drama before right. Mr. Robot. Yeah. Well, yeah, because when they called me and first said, hey, like, um, they want to see you for this USA pilot, I was I was kind of like, huh, like, I wonder yeah. what this is going to be. Right. Um, and I was like, okay, I'll read it. Like, sure. And then I read it, and I just remember sitting there with, like, my jaw to the floor <laughs> and, like, unable to speak and, like, slam my computer down and my boyfriend was there and I was like holy shit and uh, could not stop talking about it the entire night uh, and was cool. just like this is so cool and mm. we all knew that we had something really special and that was your first go around with like the quote unquote awards circuit yes because you had been on Suburgatory yeah for... well Suburgatory I actually um was nominated for Critics' Choice That's Award. Right. Congratulations. Thank you. But I, like, sobbed when they called me. I was like, what? Because <laughs> that was – we didn't do any award stuff. And, yeah, I was going to so ask. that right. was, like, literally – All just the merit of that show. Out of and the your blue. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, this is something, you know, it'd be like, okay, mm. we're – that's what we're trying for. But that was, yeah, like, cool. I woke up one morning and was like, what? <laughs> and you're still reeling. We did – well, we did, like, where – you know, whatever press came up, but it what yeah. we weren't. It wasn't like a a cable drama show where we're like, right. let's like campaign for mm-hmm. you know an Emmy or mm-hmm. things like that. Um, right. So in that way, but of you know, of course, we did everything, all the other press and stuff to support the show. Sure. And so the Emmy campaign, you kind of you guys kind of all went through the rigmarole of doing that last year, and won Emmys, Golden Globe. And a Golden Globe. I'm thinking of Rami for the Rami, yes. Rami won the Emmy last year. I cried. Year. Um, and so this time it's season two. And so it's the second go around. And is there a different strategy or is there, oh, here we go again? Or is it twice as big as it was last year? It's, it's interesting because, um, you know, people, we didn't get, we didn't get nominated for Globe for season two. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think, it's just it's so crazy these days with how many amazing TV shows are coming out, totally, totally. how like, you know, just the caliber of TV these days. And I think a lot of people <clears throat> didn't didn't respond to season two in the same way that they responded to season mm. one, um, which is interesting. And I understand it. Yeah. But. Um, but, yeah, and I think with kind of all the other new shows and stuff. So now, mm. uh, I don't know what their plan is. But, you know, with season two, it was much more character-driven, and I think it allowed the audience to get to know, to really get to know all of us. So now going mm. to season three, we can go back to that kind of more plot-driven stuff, having a oh, deeper okay. understanding of everyone that's involved. Gotcha. I'm also, like, biased to season two because I'm, like, you know, because dar- <laughs> my stuff was so good. Um, yeah, cool. Like, my story stuff that I got was, you know, it's, like, as an actor, 
all you want and can hope for is that like juicy role. Juicy, yeah. And you know, this really is like dream job because and season two especially, um, there's just so much to play with and work with. You know, I rewatched season two before we started. Cool. Um and, you know, I always say that it's like what happened before is like just as important, if not more, than what's happening now. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you're doing research. Yeah, you can never Just like rewatching. Think about yeah hmm. of knowing where um, you've been. Yeah, enough. Yeah, because some actors don't like watching themselves on screen. I think that oh, don't even get me started on that. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's it is interesting that the, there are yeah two camps of actors. Some can't handle looking at themselves on screen and. I don't. I almost don't understand how they can turn in a good performance if that's the case. I right? think, yeah, I think it's BS. Um, <laughs> I think that's how you learn. Yeah. Like if you what can't, you're good at and what works. And, right. Yeah, like that doesn't. That's how I have learned the most is because a lot of the times too, it's like what you think you're doing doesn't translate onto screen because mm. it doesn't matter. You're not doing a play. Yeah. If your performance is like amazing you know, in person, but on screen, it didn't read that way, right. then it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's kind of like red carpet stuff. If your dress looks great in person, but not oh. in photographs, doesn't matter because oh. <laughs> like the photographs are what matter. Right. Um, <laughs> but that's how I learn the most. Mm-hmm. Like that is, is watching it as seeing the final product of understanding what, how it works of what's working of, of an, and what's not, mm-hmm. and I think that it's such a disservice to not, to not do that mm. and watch and Absolutely. learn. And you know, it's, it's especially for TV when you're continuing a role, right? Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the red carpet. Um, that is one of the many tasks that an actor is expected to do for for big projects like this. Is that also something that you you just got to learn by doing? Is there any like yes? tips that you have for actors who are new to this like that is definitely its own art form I guess that I still feel like I'm not very good at oh you're so good at it (laughs) your Instagram is a work of art for one thing (laughs) um yeah I mean the first time I ever did a carpet when I was like 19 oh wow I like was carrying my purse and like looked horrible and was like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. Um and it's a lot. It's intense. You have like people just like screaming at you that yeah. you're like, okay, yeah. calm down. <laughs> and you can't win. Mm, um you can't win. Yeah, wow. Can't win everybody, you know, if you're looking to the right, somebody's yelling at you to look to the left. Uh-huh. So there's no outfit that's gonna please everybody. There's yeah. no yeah. Um, there's no, you know, everybody is at 5,000 different angles at every given moment. Um, so, but I think, you know, the mindset you, I always have to like put on a different mindset of like a character going into that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that as well, that it's an acting exercise. Oh yeah. You step out on the carpet. Yeah. Cause you have to be like, I am the hottest thing ever. Take my picture. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's the, that's the trick. Yeah, and that's you, just a mental trick you got to play on yourself, completely. right? Completely. Interesting. And of course, like going to those things, you know, you watch it on TV. I've watched it on TV my whole life. Yeah. And so to be there is crazy. But what's also crazy is when you're there, it 
it really doesn't feel like what you think it would feel like. Mm. It's that same thing of, of as an actor learning what works on camera and then seeing it played back to you. You're, yeah. Those are often two very different things. Yeah, like the Globes, you know, it seems like this grand, crazy, big ballroom. Yeah. And there it was just felt like we're all just at dinner and like all these tables <laughs> and going on stage like felt very just like, a, you know, like a little theater stage and just huh. all these people and everybody that's there is hanging out yeah. and it's like more for like America watching <laughs> and oh, cool. yeah 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 and so it it's just weird um it's interesting yeah and so this is maybe a goofy question but take us through take backstage users and listeners through how do you get nominated for an award <laughs> if i know <laughs> <laughs> how do you get nominated for a critics choice award step 1 just be fabulous. Be fabulous. I mean, I think, I always think um, you can't even think about that stuff. Right. You know, because I see actors where I'm like, oh, God, they're acting for an Emmy. Oh, interesting. You know, yeah. and it's like that can't, you know, then you start getting into what you think something looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, guessing what Emmy voters want or. Yeah, or like you're playing someone who's. You know, like, you know, say you're playing someone that is a killer and you're like, what would a killer be like? Like, what's like, how do you mm. play an intense like, girl, I'm a killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're trying to like label the performance. Yeah, the to be like, look role. at what a good killer I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so. That's certainly not how you approach Darlene in her scene where she kills someone. <laughs> right. right. And so it's like if you're going into it being like, oh, I want to get an award. Mm. You know, your performance becomes very inauthentic. Sure. Um, and it's just distracting to have to – or to, to make yourself think about all of that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it definitely is one of those, like, I – of course, that's, like, you know, the ultimate goal or dream or whatever as an mm-hmm. actor to to have that recognition. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, who doesn't – wouldn't hope for that, but – for me, like, I really try to keep because there is so much bullshit in this industry and in my job, and yeah. and it will f-ing kill you. So it's like I really constantly am like, just put your head down and do your work. Yeah, and like that's, the that's mantra. that. Yeah, for sure. And do you think that a lot of that bullshit is specifically? This is such a leading question. Specifically targeted at women. Yes, I do. <laughs> it's very funny you bring that up because yes. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's on your mind. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. Did someone tell you? No. <laughs> no, I just assume because all female actresses, all female actors, I'm, I'm thinking there's such a double standard. You know what? That's, God. Um, I wish Portia was listening. Care to comment? Yeah, where's Portia? Um, I had never experienced that before. Mm-hmm. And I did even last year. I had to, did this women's panel um, mm. with other women, not in the business, just you know, entrepreneurs or whatever. Mm. And I was asked if I ever felt like I've been treated differently, and I was like, "No, I've never felt that difference." Mm. Um, mm. I've always felt because I guess my whole life I would always say like. Why would someone tell me, like, you run like a girl? Like, why? Like, girls run great. You know, yeah. I never separated the two. And 
yeah, for the first time, though, I have experienced that inequality. Mm-hmm. And it is – it's disgusting. Yeah. And it's very sad and astonishing to see. Mm-hmm. So what can we do? What steps can we – You tell me. <laughs> I mean, I think um, – you know, Porsche and I have been dealing with this this year, and what we've stuck together, mm. and I think that's what it takes is both of us saying we're not going to, you know, like we need to open our mouths and we need to say something. Yeah. And with the support of one another because we couldn't do it alone. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, like and go to battle, you know, naturally you're – instinct is to just go, oh, okay, that's not fair, but whatever. Yeah, and walk away and roll your eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And I think that this time we were like, this is not okay. Yeah. And I, as a person, for my own self-worth, like, hmm. need to stand up and say something. And not every battle is going to end in a win. Right, right. Which I am well aware. But the point is, is that you opened your mouth and you said something. It's opening your mouth, yeah. Totally. And, and making going into that next thing, starting things off different, starting things off differently. Yeah. This is, that was so juicy and amazing. Thank <laughs> you. Um, I'm going to ask you some kind of rapid fire, not quite rapid fire questions mm-hmm. that you can answer from the heart. Um, who is, as of this moment, your favorite actor? Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon. Amazing. Big Little Lies. <laughs> Okay, so this is becoming sort of the Big Little Lies podcast a little bit. <laughs> where like I've now talked about it with so many different people and I'm totally obsessed with it. Before I came here and you know, I was so tired and was kind of having a hard time like getting myself to start prepping for the show. Uh-huh. And was watching that and watching Nicole Kidman's performance and I was just so like yeah. You are so good. And it inspired me mm. to get my ass to work to be like, that's what I want to do. That's the standard. Yeah. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And so the next question was like, what was the last amazing performance you saw? But it was definitely that. Definitely that. Um, what was the last TV show you watched? Um, I've been watching Shameless. Oh, cool. Uh-huh. And uh, Dear White People. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Which is really good. I know. I there's so much TV out there. I've been trying to. The spring is just insane. I can't yeah. Keep up with anything. Can't at keep all. up. <laughs> I have a long list. Um, this is a big question, but what is great acting to you? Ooh, being believable. Mm-hmm. Not not. I hate when I watch someone and know they're acting. Mm-hmm. When I can watch someone and forget that I'm watching someone play something and I get, like, just wrapped up in them um, and I believe them, Mm. that's great acting to me. Totally. It's the Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman thing. It's they're they're these huge movie stars and we all know who they are, but they just disappear into those roles. Yeah. I kept, you know, expecting Reese Witherspoon, like – Every before every line, I I expected it to be like her talking back, you know, just like Reese doing that. Sure, and her type of character, yeah, which or she's some known for right. Yeah. And every single time, I was like, she's not there, like she's really mm-hmm. playing this part, and that's to me, it's like 
right, of being able to be this huge star mm. and not even taking that into like consideration when you're watching them. Yeah. And there's that generosity of like, you know, an actor is good when each of their scene partners become better just by being around them. It's mm-hmm. that what you're talking about with the reaction shots and with the listening. Oh, yeah. When you have someone listening, like Reese Witherspoon listens in that show, everyone else is going to be better in their delivery. Yeah, you definitely, you know, I mean, in life, you either like ha- meet someone else's level or go down to some, you know, so it's like when you're working yeah. with an amazing actor and they're in it, you're more in it. Yeah. And totally. then you're like in it together. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier that when you read the Mr. Robot script, you just fell in love with the part. Like, how do you not then just stake your whole life on getting it? <laughs> how do you not then? Because you will be miserable. Right. Um, I love talking about auditioning, too. Um, yes. I think I was <laughs> I was trained a lot in auditioning because it is its own specific art form. Yeah. You can be an amazing actor and a horrible auditioner. Yep. And that sucks. Yeah, it does. It's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair. Yeah. Um, and so, but, you know, when I first started auditioning, every movie was, like, live or die. Mm. I would go on an audition and, like, would just be like, oh, my God, and, like, waiting to hear. And yeah. just so, like, you know, the weight of that, it was just so intense. And yeah. Um, yeah, like... So anxious. It's horrible. And, of course, you know, when you... The beginning of anything is going to feel like that. But Mm -hmm. for me, like, I have gotten to a place where... And a lot, like, you know, all thanks to my coach, Jonathan Slavin, who's also an actor, Mm. um, who's beyond incredible, and, like, I owe everything to him. But really, you know, like... There's, it's not one, there's a few things. One, you're not competing with anybody. Mm. It's either your part or it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. That's tricky. Right. Case in point, Porsche and I going in for the same role. Right. It's, it, that is, it's not going to be about who's better because we're both good. Mm-hmm. It's like. And so different. Right. Totally. So different. Yeah. Everybody brings something different. And so if they want her, they're never going to want me. And if they want me, they're never going to want her. Mm-hmm. And that's. That's that. Yeah. But there have been many times where I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I am perfect for that. Like, why didn't I get that? Yeah. Um, That's only natural. Yeah. But to me, it's like I like to be as prepared as possible, go in there, do everything that I can, and then leave and then let it go. Let it go. Yeah. Because the results aren't up to me. Yeah. Unfortunately. Right. You know, like there isn't all I can do is the best that I can do. And the other thing, too, is, like, the, just, like, for me, like, the trust in the in the universe. Um, mm. With Suburgatory, when the show got canceled, mm. of course, I was devastated. Sure. Um, and we didn't want it to. But I knew, like, you know, as I'm, like, sobbing, I knew. I was like, okay, there's a reason why this is happening, though. Mm-hmm. Like something is going to come up that I wouldn't wouldn't have been able to do if yeah. it hadn't been. And then Mr. Robot comes up. There it is. Um. So, you know, I think that it's like for every audition of of looking at it as a chance to get to act. 
to get mm-hmm. in front of someone and like pl- you know do a scene and like play this character and work on your craft and it's just like letting go of that end result. Yeah. Which is so much easier said than done. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And now that you've been on the other side of the camera as well and you're starting to I mean have you ever have you done casting type things? I want to be a casting director. Cool. Yeah. I literally like tell that to everybody cuz I'm so fascinated by everybody getting the same scene and coming in and how different yeah. everyone does it. Casting is a f- is totally an art form. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I mean what have you learned from getting behind the camera? You mentioned that you learned a lot about your work by watching yourself on camera. Mm-hmm. But is that something you recommend for actors? Of course they should work behind the camera on all aspects of the set to familiarize and to Yeah, practice. I think, you know, and the guy I the my short that I just did, I also acted in mm-hmm. and directed it and wrote it and produced it and edited it. I Whoa. But I think like knowing being able to step away from the result is I mean and I guess like with everything in life is like you do the mm. work you do the footwork and like you let it go yeah well Carly thank you so much for taking the time thank you to let you go they're like get the f- <laughs> <laughs> thank you Carly for stopping by and giving us your wisdom definitely and it was interesting to have two people at very different points in their careers giving their mm-hmm. their opinions on on the industry yeah and yeah a Carly's lot of it, got a unique perspective on yeah, that right now yeah and a lot of it matching up interestingly mm-hmm. yeah the emmy nominations are approaching emmy nomination voting is about to close and i mean we're excited for yeah. this coming emmy season who knows what's going to happen <laughs> who knows <laughs> um i'm excited in fact i'm just going to go watch some TV right now because I have a very long list of shows that I need to catch up on. Okay. Bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you to this week's special guests, Carly Chaikin and Tandy Newton. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe for more interviews from the front lines of the 2017 Emmy race. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City. Thanks, as always, to producer Jamie Muffet. You can follow him on Twitter at JamieMusicNYC. I am Jack Smart. You can follow me on Twitter at JackSmartWrites. Thank you to the team at Backstage, a.k.a. the most trusted name in casting, Peter Rappaport, Ryan Remstad, Jesse Balashak, Francis Ramos, Rowan Al-Khatib, and especially the exquisite Casey Howe. For more awards and industry coverage, head over to Backstage.com. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another glimpse in the envelope.